blue skies cool. They seduce us, pulling us irresistibly upwards, reminding us to fly our own line, on our wings, and in life. We are the seekers, adventurers, being one with the air, feeling everything and nothing at once. That's the magic we chase. Follow the call. Find your pure wild flight with NZ Aerosports. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it, swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust, like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia, as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast. Or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. Hell, they've even got a special offer for all you Lunatic listeners out there. Just head to pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void. That's pages.nzaerosports.com forward slash into the void and follow the instructions to register a website account with them. You'll score a discount voucher with 20 bucks towards any purchase over $200. I mean, come on. You know you're going to shop with NZ Aerosports, so grab a little extra cash towards that buy and enjoy. The offer is good until the 31st of December and the voucher is good for three months, so go register now. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! 
coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. All right, three, two, one. Ready, set, go. Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with a familiar face, one of the ultimate badasses, and somebody we haven't met yet. So please tell me, gentlemen, who the fuck are you and what do you do? Hey, Dean. Uh, thanks for having us on. My name is Jarrett Martin. Dean, good to have you here, man. Good to be on your show. Um, my name's Brett Martin. Um, just another guy I'm you know, it's kind of funny, Brett, uh, although we went and did a lot of back and forth uh, online and and uh, politically would fight on the same side on Facebook when we were both in the mood. I think this is the first time we're actually both talking. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's very cool. <laughs> it's a neat opportunity. And Jarrett, so I see you guys have the uh, Summit Parachute Systems behind you, and I'm guessing that's who I've been plugging for a while on the podcast now. That's right. Yep. Uh, you were just... Uh... You're in the shop and we're just um, working on parachute rigging and um, that's just nice. what it's been. Well, we'll get around to uh, how Summit Parachute Systems got started and all that. But like I, I always do on the podcast, I want to get started, obviously, with who you guys are. Now, your father and son, and you're both active skydivers and riggers and stuff. So let's start with dad first, because I'm guessing uh, his uh, um, beginning in the sport is what led to yours. So, Brett, tell me, how did you get started in, first off, anything extreme, but specifically skydiving? Well, what's funny is I don't consider myself an extreme sports athlete by any means. Um, I started in the skydiving. My dad started when I was four years old, so I've been around it all my life. Oh, wow. Uh, I started in 76. Um, I've been a professional skydiver pretty much my whole life since 88. Um, uh, parachute rigger, senior rigger, uh, AFF instructor, can instructor. I've got about 18,000 jumps. Wow. Uh, Four base jumps for what that's worth, kind of thing. It's just been uh, kind of part of my life uh, since I was a little kid. My sister yeah. jumps, used to jump. My brother still jumps. Uh, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles. I got married skydiving. So it's, it's been a lot of since I started. Really? So it's it's been a lifelong thing, not just for you, but all the way through from your father's generation. Now, how did he start yeah, in skydiving? Third generation skydiving. Really? There's not too many families out there with that kind of pedigree. How uh, how did your dad get started in jumping? No, I, I really don't know. Uh, I was a little kid at the time, but he started with uh, uh, in Aurora, Oregon, back in 1964. Okay. Um, with Ralph Patley and Ted Mayfield and those guys uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, an interesting thing about my dad is back when the D.B. Cooper thing happened, back in the, se- in the in 70 or 71, whatever it was. Sure. Um, Back in the day, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of skydivers back in the 70s, and pretty much every skydiver in the Pacific Northwest got interviewed by the FBI about the DB, including my dad. Right. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it was a big deal back then. And of course, I was, you know, I was like 9 or 10 at the time, so. Sure. But, yeah. Well, I mean, the D.B. Cooper thing, for those that don't know, he was the guy that uh, stole, I don't know how much, it, it wasn't actually a lot of money by today's standards, but back then it was, um, and bailed it was how much? $200,000. So, yeah, I mean, a good chunk of change, but not nearly what it would be today. And he bailed out of the back of a jet, uh, uh, an airliner um, in Oregon, didn't he? Yes. 
Jesus. And of course, the big uh, uh, the big thing with that is they never found him, and or, or have they now solved that mystery? Uh, I think it would be if, if they had solved the mystery, Dean, we'd all know about it by now. It'd be right. headline deal, but uh, I mean, uh, I still say it's Ted Mayfield. <laughs> really? Well, see, and that's he's the, dead. We can't answer. So, so it's it's great. Yeah. Well, then it's Ted Mayfield. I'll agree with you on that. <laughs> so now. When Jarrett got started in jumping, obviously this must have seemed like a pretty natural progression because this is something that the whole family had done. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Jarrett, he was the only thing that kept him from skydiving later, as opposed to sooner, was he couldn't fit into the harness. Basically, <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as we could get him into the harness, he was he was in the tandem harness. He was jumping. Um, he was packing parachutes, you know, well before that. And, you know, he's kind of involved in the sport. You know, he grew up on the drop zone, so he was involved sure. in the sport since one, basically. Wow. So he was uh, he started out life as a packing weight and then worked his way up from there? Yeah, he was a packing weight that he was a packer. <laughs> so, Jarrett, when you got started in jumping, where did you do your first jump? So I did my first jump uh, skydive Toledo. I mean, my dad used to own that drop zone. I mean, it was started by my grandfather. And um, so naturally, that was a good place to start. And I did a tandem with my dad. And uh, my uncle was also on the skydive. And so it's just like, you know, just, you know, another day with the, with the family. So I got to ask. So when I grew up, my dad was a golfer. And I naturally pushed back against wanting to do something that he did, um, like a lot of kids will do. So I absolutely did not want to be a golfer. Was there ever any point where you were pushing back about wanting to go into skydiving or was it just a, Oh, I'm absolutely going to be a jumper. Well, let's see. I mean, like, I'm trying to think like probably in the, like the, you know, five, six years, seven years old, um, you know, power Rangers came out. Sky surfing was like, <laughs> thing. my dad's a sky surfer. And I'm like, how could you not just like fall in love with that? Sure. Idea like that? And um, I mean, it's pretty funny. Like, obviously, sky surfing kind of faded out. But um, no, I never pushed back because, like, I was like, how can you push back against sky surfing? Like, that's so radical. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, sky surfing so and golf don't have a lot in common, do they? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty funny. I, uh, you know, I did the one sky surfer, two sky surfing jumps. But, I mean, it's kind of like one of those things where sure. it's funny how that whole transition works is far as that goes but skydiving was pretty much always going to be on the table i think for a little bit like uh i kind of wanted to be a pilot for you know probably like in the early teens before i started actually skydiving solo mm. um but then i think when i started skydiving i mean you know the dream of just being a professional skydiver was always you know going to be there Sure, sure. Now, now, Brett, uh, he just mentioned you—you uh, you were a sky surfer. I would involve that, Dean. I got, you know, I don't know, fifty or sixty sky surfing jumps with a short board. Um, I think I got one, maybe one jump with a longer board, but I wouldn't consider myself a sky surfer. But you know, I mean, to a little kid back when he's nine years old, eight years old, it's like just seeing dad walk out to the airplane with this contraption you know, and his weird clothes on and stuff like that it was kind of sure. cool, I guess. Sure. Well, and I mean, that's 50 or 60 more jumps on a board than a lot of people have. And I mean, those fucking things are dangerous. 
Well, it's funny because uh, I remember the first sky surfing jump, and I was terrified. And this was after several thousand jumps. Mm. And as soon as I was out of the airplane, ah, oh, that's not so bad. Sure, felt kind of natural. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I, by no means do I consider myself a, a you know a sky surfer or a good sky surfer kind of thing. But it, you know, like any skydive, as soon as you're out of the airplane, you're you're kind of just in the moment. And, it's not as scary as I thought it was going to be. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you're so programmed to take care of emergency situations and to be hyper aware of everything that it kind of, I would imagine all just kind of kicks in. Yeah. So now how did you start working in the sport? Obviously you grew up around it, but what was the first gig for you in skydiving? Talking to me now, Dean? Yeah, for you, for working. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, I was actually a professional musician um, when I really got into skydiving back in the mid, mid 80s. And uh, yeah, I just kind of started slowly getting out of playing music and more into playing skydiving or, or skydiving. Right. And uh, the, the drop song that I was jumping at that my dad started pretty much pulled it into nothing. And we were at a, um, a, a meeting, so to speak, at the, at the drop zone. And I drove up from Portland. Uh, and the meeting was like, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to get this thing going again? And it just so happened that a buddy of mine, or a, a soon-to-be buddy of mine, Mike Jackson, I'd never met had showed up to make his last payment on the airplane that my dad used to own when he started dropping it. So while he was there, uh, I said, hey, uh, Mike, you know, as long as you're here, you want to you fly a couple loads? You know, and he's like, okay. You know, so I got out a piece of paper and started manifesting loads. You know, and that just turned into me owning the drop zone. Uh, <laughs> I paid $2 for the drop zone, $200. And when I got out of the drop, what I got for my 200 bucks was two old military static line rigs and nothing else. No clubhouse, no airplane, no bathrooms, no nothing. We just took it from there. Really? Talk about starting from uh, humble beginnings. But and 107 jumps, no ratings. And you owned a drop zone. I owned a drop zone. So, I mean, did you wake up one morning and go, oh, shit, how the hell am I going to do this? Or was it just, uh, all right, this is what I do now, and you went for it? Well, in, at the time, I had a regular job in, in Portland, Oregon, and um, it wasn't like, all right, now I'm going to be a professional skydiver. It was like, okay, uh, at the end of the day, that first day, I say, well, you know, if you, know, if you want, Mike, you know, you want to show up next week, we'll, we'll fly a few more loads. <laughs> he showed up, I showed up, and just kind of took off from there. It was never really planned. I mean, which is kind of cool, really, especially when you're talking about uh, leading into what's obviously been a lifelong career in skydiving, that it just was kind of a Let's see how it comes and, and kind of go from there. Now, Jarrett, you were a little bit more planned, weren't you, when it came to how you got started in skydiving? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like, you know, this, my path is so like, I feel like, you know, predetermined. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, and you start packing and then like you start jumping and then you put a video camera on and then you're making money. You know, I mean, you're, you're making money when you're packing and then it's like you know if you you know if you're going to stay in it like i knew that i was like you just know that you're going to go through the you know the evolution of sure you know, of just being the being the money you know money making skydiving guy well and and the first time that we had talked to you had said um that the progression was obviously very fast for somebody that was as young as you are um because of the the family and the roots in skydiving um but i believe you also had said that uh, um you were taking on a ton super quickly because you were super absorbed in the sport i mean how how old were you when you had your instructor's ratings 
Yes, I mean, well, you, I mean, when I had my instructors ready, I was 18. Um, yeah. That's as, that's as young as you can get. And that's uh, crazy, I mean, yeah. It probably, it probably happens because it's, you know, when I started skydiving at 14, you know, I'm pretty already familiar with, you know, definitely the terminology, quite a bit of the, you know, theory and, you know, more or less like when it came time to like execute, it's like, all right, so I, you know, at least had the basic skills pretty early on and then it just manifested itself and sure. compounded and being, being an instructor early on too. Now at 18 years old, did you find you had a lot of pushback from students going, who the hell is this kid and where's my real instructor? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, mean, I remember one person definitely was like, I'm not jumping with you. <laughs> really? Yeah. And, uh, and it was pretty funny. And I think like, I remember the story goes like them telling me that they're not going to jump with me. And then, you know, the whole like thing was like, no, no, I'm your instructor. And then they're being like, no, I'm not jumping with you, but then kind of walking to the airplane with me. And then, you know, being in the airplane being like, no, I'm still not jumping with you. And then them definitely like not letting me jump out with them. And so we landed in the airplane and they got a new instructor and he went with the new instructor. <laughs> Andy, Farrington, you know, then Andy, Andy, my friend, Andy Farrington took him. And, uh, it's so funny. And I'm like, what the hell, man? It's and I remember like all like the next load being on the plane with him next to him. Like you can imagine, you know, tandem style caravan seating, like with benches and like being like next, you know, adjacent to the instructor. Like, why didn't you so now you're going and being <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I mean, speaking as a fifty something year old grumpy old dude, it, it would probably be difficult for me to go and meet some 18 year old kid because you look young now so i can only imagine how long young you must have looked at 18 years old so <laughs> yeah and so i guess i can kind of see but also with skydiving um it's obvious right when you can see the uh, the um the way somebody carries themselves and the uh obvious attention to detail that they have and and the the clear direction that they've got i would think especially with you i've always known you to be a really um a really super strong personality in regard to I've got this, I know what I'm doing. So I could see you easily being able to win over most personalities. So I'm actually kind of surprised that he didn't go with you. Yeah. One of those funny, funny, funny stories where I was like, man. So now did you guys segue to Hawaii as a family? Uh, no, I would say, I mean, as soon as I, Man, as soon as I could, I wanted to be like a professional skydiver, like before I even finished high school. Like, I'm mm. like, do I have to finish? I, I remember asking you, do I have to finish high school? Can I just like go to Hawaii now as like, you know, an 18 year old, you know, <laughs> but, you know, but I had to, uh, the answer is no. The answer is no. I had to finish. <laughs> yeah, no, I had to finish school, but like, goddamn, like, I think I graduated in June and by, you know, July I was in, in Hawaii. Wow. I mean, just out of high school, 18 years old, tandem instructing in Hawaii of all places. Now, yeah, so. Hawaii as a as a tandem instructor or a camera flyer out there, that's a challenging place to jump, is it not? Uh yep. Yeah. I mean, I did it for a little bit. Uh, my dad's done it for longer, so we can comment on 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 that. But yeah, it's just you know, high um, you know, high pace and winds and you know 
And then you're just kind of like, you know, navigating the Hawaii, you know, drama and politics, which is, you know, its own category. Yeah. So, Brett, how did you end up uh, making your um, change out to Hawaii? Well, Dean, I could, I could spend three podcasts just talking about how I got to Hawaii, let alone okay. the whole process. I'll, I'll keep it as quick and as simple as I can. First of all, I had no desire to ever go to Hawaii. It was never entered in my consciousness. When Jarrett got hurt, uh, I flew over there while he was recovering over there. and you know, like It wasn't two hours out off the airplane, even with Jarrett injured, that I kind of fell in love with the place. And then uh, we went back to Washington. He did some more recovery, and he went off to off to school and then off to work for Jump Shack. And so I decided, well, I'll, I'll see what I can do over in Hawaii. So I flew over to Hawaii, spent three months in 2011, and then back in 2013. And, uh, yeah, I just fell in love with the place. I mean, sure. it's considered my home now. But, you know, it's a challenging place to learn how to skydive. Um, you probably know who Andy Malchiotti is. I know the name, yeah. Yeah, he's. we were over there in 2011. We hadn't started jumping yet, and, and we're uh, around the landing area watching the land. It's a whole different ballgame right there. And, and Andy and I are like, oh, that guy's fired. Oh, he's fired for sure. Oh, that guy's fired. You know, and then you realize that you it's just a different atmosphere out there. You, you do things different. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Now, it had to have been difficult, especially since you're literally getting off the plane in a place like Hawaii, but you're going because Jared got himself hurt. That I'm in itself, uh, I mean, how do you handle that message? Because obviously you weren't in Hawaii when the injury happened. And Jared, we talked about the injury on the last podcast, uh, but we'll recap a little bit. But Brett, that must have been so difficult for you. It was, um, it was um, yeah, I, I it, it's even hard to talk about it now, but uh, I bet. when I got when I got the news, um, I, I remember like it was yesterday. And I, I'll, I'll cut to the the part of being in the airport in Seattle, um, and major kudos to to Luke Akins and the Farringtons for making all that happen. But I'm in the airport, not knowing if I'm going to show up to a dead kid or a live kid. Sure. I remember being in the airport talking to the doctor for the first time, and I and I'm like, you know, is he is he going to make it? You know, and the doc's like, well, we'll do the best we can. Wow. Um, yeah, and, and seriously, and then literally minutes before I got on the airplane, I got a call from from the doctor saying, yeah, you know, we fixed the aorta and he's going to live. So, I mean, you know, I didn't even know that that was going to happen, how that was going to play out until I got to the, air, got sure. the airport in Hawaii. My goodness. Now, Jarrett, for those that haven't listened to the fir- first podcast, um, give me a brief rundown of what happened with the accident. Uh, yep, the accident was we're doing um, some ground launching in Hawaii, and back then it was you know now it's speed flying. Back then it was ground launching. We had you know skydiving parachutes and skydiving gear, and um, I was gonna take it one step further by doing a, a cutaway after I launched off the um, mountain, and um, my uh, my rigging on the cutaway system was um, faulty and um, so when I launched off the mountain one of my risers disconnected prematurely and I um, a couple of seconds later I hit the ground with you know basically a half inflated 80 square foot parachute so uh, paralyzed from the chest down and uh, easy wheelchair <laughs> you know I mean it's funny um I've only known you post-accident, and uh, um, I've never met someone who comes across less 
handicapped than you. I've, I've never, I've never in any way been given the impression by you and the way you act or in what you do that you consider yourself anything other than fully capable doing ridiculously epic shit. Dude, you do stuff um, out of a wheelchair that I wouldn't do on my best day, which blows me away. So it's difficult for me to put myself in the shoes of before versus after. I can only imagine. I mean, you've done so much in skydiving since that accident and you just have had zero quit. And I'd imagine Brett's had a whole lot to do with that. I mean, it doesn't seem like either you are much of the type to give up for anything. Um, yeah, that's it, man. He's got to keep on going. Um, yeah, it was hard at the beginning, you know, but you know, the skydiving community is pretty radical. Dude, just sure. Literally, you know, will literally pick me up. <laughs> literally, will pick me up and put me in the airplane yeah, if man. I need to. And, yeah, uh, I'm super thankful to be just in a situation where I can just, you know, life's been easy for me, man. I mean, the accident was, you know, tough emotionally, but um, for the most part, it's just like, you know, all I do is, you know, sure. All I do is do, man. I mean, it's skydiving when, you know, Skydiving when I'm skydiving, or it's rigging when I'm rigging, and you know, it's just I'm thankful for just you know. Sure. You know, well, and you even segued back into competition, correct? Yes. So I love competing. I think that's you know, I think a little competition is good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so, you, yeah. you you went back into yeah, uh, my, yeah. my thing. Absolutely. Well, and you went back into competitions. You were the uh, first um, uh, paraplegic with uh, uh, the team, weren't you? Yes. So, um, yeah, paraplegic is being a paraplegic and competing like it kind of limits you to style and accuracy, you know, um, to do it well, I think. And then it's like when I did, when I thought to do that, like all these like accolades and being like the first starting getting tossed around and I'm like, that's been funny um, that I could still like make the US team um, and as a sure. And that caveat, was, I was still a junior competitor. Really? Uh, was, um, you know, junior competitor is like 18 to 24. Right. And uh, they're like, hey, you're, um, even though like I'm not super competitive as a paraplegic, but um, seeing as I was the only junior competing, they um, they allowed me to do international competitions as the junior competitor for the U.S. parachute team. And so just kind of by default, because I was easily the youngest competitor by 20 years or something. Sure, you know? sure. <laughs> That's cool, though. Now, Brett, what did you think uh, uh, when Jarrett said he wanted to start competing? Well, jumping again and then, of course, competing again. Uh, well, I mean, it, it was, you know, it was never a question of whether he was going to start jumping again. I mean, pretty amazing. Uh, um, he, he did a tandem, what it was, two months after you, after you got back from, from Hawaii, three months. It was, it was pretty, wow. pretty early on. He did a tandem, then he, then he was back. You know, he went through a, kind of a little refresher AFF thing, and we modified equipment and tied legs together and came up with different this and different that, but it really wasn't a question of whether he was going to start jumping again or even competing again. 
Sure. Like, and again, just he never got pushed or pulled. He just kind of like went from step to step to step and he was sure. off and run. Sure. What did you, I got, I got to ask, what did you think? Um, there's a, um, a, a photograph that's always impressed me, still impresses me to this day. In fact, I saw a different uh, photograph from, I would imagine the same trip of him doing a base jump off of, and where, I'm not sure where you were. Was that Brento? I mean, I've done base jumps in Brento. Um, I think the one that you're talking about is Norway, though. Was it Norway? So that was with Ellis and, and uh, Micah and the crew. Yeah, Ellis, the one, because we talked about that photo, and it's an amazing photo of yes. Ellis going off of um, Norway. Yes. And, uh, I mean, I just happened to, like, you know, we happened to, like, see the camera, both of us, and we're, we're both, like, in free fall, and we're, like, looking at the camera directly, and it's kind of sure. a beauty photo. Sure. So well, there's there's that picture, and then I just saw one that I had not seen before that uh, uh, somebody had swapped over to black and white, and you were going off with two other jumpers, and you were the only one looking at the camera, and both of them had very intense, just jumped off a cliff face, and you're looking at the camera with the most chill, relaxed expression on your face, and it just made me fucking smile from ear to ear, because you look so cool as you're going off of this cliff, and I've never done a base jump. I would be shitting my pants, and you are just, yep, here we go. <laughs> I remember that base jump, too. That that base jump was Brito, you're right, and I yeah. remember shitting my pants, but, like, I better, like, at least have the appearance of like that i got it together oh dude man you as far as the looking cool and composed you had it fucking nailed it was perfect i remember because i because the two guys who on that one was noah Vanson and micah couch yeah and uh, yeah we were all shitting our pants dude we we're like what the <laughs> fuck are we doing <laughs> well, and talk about a crew, Micah and Noah, for fuck's sake. I mean, you don't get more epic, especially in the base jumping world, than those guys. So that was pretty spectacular. Yeah, those guys, amazing. That, that's, Brett, a, what that's, it, a dream, that's a dream jump right there. I got I just got to follow with that. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you even got to do the uh, uh, the dream jump off the Princess Tower when yeah, you were I, living I, in Dubai, right? The, yeah, I got to do the jump with those same people. Um, yeah, that was you know, actually, scratch that. That was the dream jump. Was it really? <laughs> that was literally the dream jump, man. Fuck, that's what they called that, the dream jump, too. Yeah, that's super cool. <laughs> Brett, what yeah. did you think of his uh, his base jumping career? Were were you a fan of that, or was that something you were uh, like? What's interesting about that is he, he was talking about it from an early age, and uh, and he just he pretty much hounded me. And I, I said, okay, you know, I never think that he would, he would follow through with my requirements, but my requirement is, first of all, do some do some research right. and, and find a, a specific place to do it that's you know that either that I can trust and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And I figured, oh, I'll shut it down right there. There's no way he's going to you know make that effort. Right. But he did, and he found uh, um, our good buddy Miles Dasher in uh, in, in Ida. And uh, I said, okay, fine. Uh, all right, fine. I'll let you do it. But you got to go with this guy named Tony Chenier, who's a, a lifelong friend of ours. I dated his mom for years. And, uh, and, and I said, okay, you got it, but you got to go with Tony. And I figured Tony wouldn't go, but Tony agreed to go. So, so Jared and Tony went over to Idaho. And I, you know, it was like, he kind of called me on the whole thing. Right. He, I, I, I put these conditions down. He met the conditions. So I let him go over there and do that. Um, and then he continued on. And, uh, you know, I, I, 
I could go on I could, a whole podcast just on my reaction to base jump. Right. I literally had to ground you one day. Like most kids get grounded for like staying out late. I literally had to ground him for jumping off of uh, a cell phone that I found out through a friend of his. I mean, so you know, grounding your kid took on a literal meaning with this one. <laughs> Dude, that is fantastic. I mean, you're right. That does take on a, a very different meaning when you're talking about grounding your kid when you're literally having to strap the kid to the ground. <laughs> so I see you guys sitting in front of a Summit Parachute System sign. And anybody that's been listening to the podcast over the last few years, and especially over this last year, has heard me talk about Summit Parachute Systems. Um, and I say, Jarrett Martin and the family cracking out badass pilot rigs and rigging courses. Well, what in the world got you to decide you wanted to start building pilot rigs? And well, first I'll start a rigging loft and then it's specifically good to go into pilot rigs. Um, well, I don't know. I, I think it was like, again, like it was just almost like destined, man. I can tell you, like I've been wearing pilot rigs since I was a kid. Since <laughs> I was sitting in the airplane, you know, playing with the yoke, you know, and wearing right. pilot rigs. And then it's like full circle back to like, you know, leaving Dubai in 2017. I, you know, was a rigger in Dubai and got a, some experience there, but got a lot of experience after leaving and going really into being a production manager for Firebird. And then from there, really learning the inside, you know, know-hows of, you know, parachute production. And then sure. kind of had the opportunity to, you know, uh, take over a TSO and and like it was just so perfect to be like you know what I think that and coming from base jumping you know I was like and you know my love for, for I, don't know, I know pilot rigs man like it's a perfect little niche thing and I just sure I love it. it's so how no one now, thought about those guys like, I'm going for it speaking of uh, um, base stuff have you thought about branching out into base equipment um, it's on the table <laughs> Nice. You know, uh, you know, I can't say for certain like when or, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, you just take the, the ripcord out and put a, throw out a pilot chute on, man. I think you got a base rig. Nice, nice, nice. Well, and uh, that's the great thing about skydiving, right? And especially with your family having as many years in the sport is it's not like you lack for connections and knowing people. So once you start getting to that point and producing stuff, it's pretty easy for you to get word out, I would imagine, because you guys know everybody. Yeah, I think definitely it would be, you know, fun to have a couple aces out. I mean, you can just kind of see, you know, as long as everything stays stays good, like you know, you can imagine this, to see a full line of some of Parachute Systems products hopefully in the future. Dude, that's awesome. Start with, start with pilot rigs because it's you know absolutely perfect. You know, pilots need the love. You know, yes, and, uh, for sure. And so, like, um, start off, start off with those guys, and then we'll just keep on going. Nice. Now, um, with the rigging courses. Um, is it a full start to finish rigging courses you offer? Like uh, if, cause I'm a non-rigger. So if I wanted to come out and get my ticket, I'd be able to come to you from zero and get going. Yeah. So the rigging course has been pretty popular too. Um, in Arizona here, we have a lot of military contracts and um, they require that the Packers be um, licensed riggers. Okay. And, uh, and I think like in general, a lot of the drop zones are, you know, kind of pushing 
pushing their packers to have rigging licenses now. Um, and so, yeah, the rigging course, it's, you know, it's, it's expedited. It's definitely meant for people who have experience packing and have experience in the sport. Um, but it's definitely like a minimalist course where it's the basic 20 packs, show you how to do a, some sewing, and then um, you're kind of on your own to do like at home studying with a um, picture of your handbook and, you know, not let study out for the written test. But okay. um, yeah, it's um, it's pretty intensive and it definitely gets you everything you need to do to get you on your way. You know, little stuff like I provide a little toolkit and log book and all that stuff. And it's that way when you're, go out in the world you're you know you're good to go you know you can do your packs and do your sewing and you know you got your tools and you're ready to go so sure it's full man like i got like so my courses are you know for the most part one-on-one so it's really fun to like have somebody come in and you know i get to really get to like you know develop a relationship with them and you know because this is going to be you know after they go out in the world like you know you know i hope that we stay connected and it's you know fun to develop a relationship and then show them the, you know, the stuff that they need to do to basically start or to have a good foundation for, um, you know, for their skydiving career. And that's what I nice. say is good, uh, good starting foundation for any, um, any, uh, any, any, uh, any career. And that's, you know, cool. That's just now, now let me ask, uh, um, how long does the initial course take to get through? Like if I want to come get my rigging ticket uh, and I'm not living in Arizona, how long can I expect to stay in Arizona to get that? Yeah, so um, it's as fast as you can do the packs. Um, uh, you got you to do 20 packs. So um, uh, I usually, you know, have a methodology to try to do, you know, a, a pack every two hours. And so, you know, four, you know, four, um, 10 hour days, that's, you know, that's, uh, sure. that's 20, 20 packs and then a day or two of sewing, you know, that's, you know, you can probably get it done in a, the course in a week. You okay. Know, and then a, a few days for the, uh, for the exams. I was going to say, so there's a knowledge test as well. Now, do you administer those exams or do they have to go somewhere else? So they, um, they, I'm not a DPRE, a designated patient rate examiner. I don't hold that license or that privilege, but, um, yeah, so we have a couple, um, we have a couple places locally, um, Sandy Reed, Tony Frost, Mark Bauer, they're all within a couple minutes drive. Okay, cool, cool. So it's kind of a one-stop shop for people if they want to come to you, escape colder weather, they want to get their rigging ticket, and obviously Arizona's a good spot to come. How far away from the drop zones are you? Yeah, so that's what we get. We get a lot of snowbirds, and you know we're 10 minutes from the drop zone, so... Mm. We're just right there. So everyone's just kind of coming to hang out and do some jump and do some rigging. And yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so from one desert to another desert, you're just kind of bouncing around to the sun, huh? I love it, man. It's good. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm from the Northwest, but I like the more dry, airy climates. Sure. Yeah, I can't blame you. Now, let me ask you guys as we get towards the end of the podcast, um, for people that are interested in doing that rigging course, for pilots that are out there looking for the parachute systems and all that stuff, how do they find you? How do they follow you on social media specifically to keep up with you guys? And then how do they find out about Summit Parachute Systems? Yeah, so, I mean, Facebook and Instagram is a good way to just, you know, see what I'm up to and my dad's got a Facebook, Brett, Brett Martin. Um, Summit Parachute Systems has a Facebook and, you know, the website is pretty good source for getting in touch. Um, Summit awesome. Parachute Systems. 
Awesome. Anybody that listens to the podcast has, has heard that a few times before. And and Brett, like I said, I, I know you and I have had the opportunity to, to chit chat many times, brawling on Facebook with people. <laughs> yeah. It's always kind of funny, right? When you find out that you've got uh, an ally, so to speak, somebody that thinks along similar lines. And of course, it's a skydiver. And at first, I did not connect the names. I didn't realize Martin, hang on, how come I know that name? And then I'm like, oh, shit. All right, cool. Now I love this family. <laughs> happens quite often. People, they've known me for a while and then they know Jared and can years later they put the two and two together really but back in those days when i was in hawaii and uh i don't know how we connected on facebook probably through jared but like sure we were arguing the same point at the same time yeah <laughs> and it was uh, it was pretty surreal yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was kind of funny. Every time I would see that you had commented on a post, I would always check to find out what it was because I knew that nine and a half out of 10 times I was going to agree word for word and then probably want to step in and take a round or two. <laughs> I appreciated the backup on a lot of that stuff. Oh, it was always kind of fun. You know, it was always kind of fun. Now, um, and you're on Facebook just under Brett Martin? Brett Charles Martin. Brett Charles Martin. All right. So they can find you under Brett Charles Martin and Jarrett Martin and then Summit Parachute Systems as well. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time. I know we got you uh, in the shop right now. Brett, we pulled you off a machine. So I'm going to let you guys get back to work. But thank you so much for taking the time. And hopefully people come and check out everything that you guys got going on. And I'm looking forward to seeing base rigs coming out. Thanks, Dave. Um, We'll be in touch. Guys. Take care. Blue skies, Matt. Take care. And there you have it. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com. By Pussfoot. That's right. Head to Pussfoot.com, the Extreme Sports Collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com. Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com. Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to YouTube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe Podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around.